Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Welcome to episode 141 of the Average Cheese Podcast. It's the great Peter Jones and I for episode 141. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at Arnhem Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. Peter, 41. It's the... Oh, gosh. I am not prepared for today's episode. <laughs> Guy that had the prostitute at the Super Bowl when the Packers went in 96. He played with Atlanta. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway. Continue with 41, please. 41 is one of those numbers that isn't one of the outstanding numbers, shall we say, in Packers history, where we've had some other numbers like 87 and various other numbers where there's multiple players, right? So 41, both Clark Hinkle and Arnie Herber, who we've talked about in recent weeks, both wore 41 for one season. Another one that's probably worth a mention was a, a rookie safety by the name of Tom Flynn, who played for the Packers from 84 to 86. But his claim to fame was he had nine interceptions as a rookie in 1984. The um, only bright that, spot on the Packers' defense in 1984? Probably. I mean, that would have been another one of those eight and eight teams in, in 84 that was, when it was good on offense, was bad on defense and vice versa. Vice versa, yeah. I've ended up with, I think, the guy that you were alluding to, Eugene Robinson. Eugene Robinson, yes. <laughs> And actually, you know, he just played two years for the Packers. And, and so there's not whole bunches of Packers stuff to talk about, really. But but he was a key member, another key member of that 1996 Super Bowl team. Played 96 and 97. So played on both of those Super Bowl teams, the starting free safety. And I guess he made a real splash when he came to the Packers as six interceptions in that Super Bowl year in the 1996 season. And I think one of the things I kind of remember from that time was was Fritz Shermer's defense and Fritz Shermer doing some kind of new stuff on defense. And one of the things that he did was utilize a big nickel defense playing three safeties. So we had Leroy Butler as the strong safety, Eugene Robinson as the free safety, and then Mike Pryor would come in as the third safety. So they'd have five defensive backs where normally you'd think of that fifth defensive back being another corner. You know, Fritz Schumer had that big nickel defense. So Robinson was a big contributor to those two Super Bowl teams in the in, in the mid-90s for the Packers. Most of his career was played at Seattle before he came to the Packers as a free agent. He played 11 seasons in Seattle, had 42 interceptions. And then you're right, played a couple of seasons with Atlanta and, and then one in Carolina before, you know, his career ended. So there isn't a whole bunches to talk about, really, but... He was a very good player for the Packers over those two Super Bowl seasons. Eugene Robbins. All right, let's get on to the slices. We've hit 2,000 followers on our Twitter, so that's pretty cool. Brandon, if you're listening to this, please send me your information and I will send you an average cheese t-shirt. Congratulations. Also, we have questions from friends. So Amy sent us a question. How do you feel about Jordan Love's progression with the connection with his receivers from today, from the Steelers game? We can talk about that. How about Will... Musgrave ever outgrow his baby giraffe legs after he makes a catch? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, 
let's talk about this one. And I know we've discussed this a little bit on our podcast, but is Matt LaFleur on the block? I'm going to change that to, is he on the clock right now? I think he is, but I think that clock's still got quite a way to run. So I don't think he's on the clock for the 2023 season. He's bought himself some time with those 13, three 13 win seasons. They went eight and nine last year. Regardless of the Packers' record this year, I think he's back as the head coach next year. I think that that would be the last losing season that he could have and remain safe. Assuming they don't have a winning season this year, which is looking more and more likely, I don't believe that he could have another losing season next year and, and be safe. So I think the clock's there, but I think it's still got some ways to go. Uh, Ennis Gaines was released today. Big deal. I'm sorry that the man got cut, but what was he doing for the Packers? Not a whole lot. Uh, and in positive news, Clay Matthews and Aaron Kaplan, nor were they named to the Packers Hall of Fame or are they candidates? The Packers don't name candidates, right? They just say these guys are going into the Packer Hall of Fame. I hadn't seen that news today, so... That's the case. Camp, they're both very, very worthy in Shrinees into the Packers Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I would agree. Really good players for the Packers. Aaron Campman went on to have a pretty successful tenure with, I think, Jacksonville too, right? Yeah. You know, and Clay Matthews III is what we know him to be. You know, one of the one of the outstanding outside linebackers of his generation. Will either Clay Matthews make the Hall of Fame? The Pro Football Hall of Fame? Yeah. So his father, Clay, in my view, his father, Clay Matthews Jr., should be in. Right. And that's there are a number of factors there. You know, he played a 20 year career, was outstanding as an outside linebacker in both the 3 4 and the 4 3. So his career was split almost down the middle in terms of years spent playing as a 4 3 outside linebacker and a 3 4 outside linebacker. And was one of those all round, do it all outside linebackers who could rush the passer, play the run, drop back into coverage, did it all. And so his thing that holds him back is that he didn't have the big sack numbers that lots of those three, four outside linebackers had, the Lawrence Taylors, those kind of guys. And that's because he was asked to do lots of different things. So he absolutely should be in. I think that Clay Matthews the third, his son, the Packers, Clay Matthews, it's very close. Really? Um, Interesting. Yeah. You would need to go look at the numbers again. Um, because unfortunately, the numbers come into it. So so although it ought to be almost number agnostic, numbers do come into it, particularly when you got to compare multiple players. I think in this era, it's difficult because you have to have those huge sack numbers to get in as an outside linebacker. And, and Clay had really good numbers. I just don't know whether they're good enough. Yeah. There was a year there, I think it might have been the Super Bowl year 2010. The year that Clay Matthews III had, was probably one of the greatest defensive years, single individual defensive years in Packers history. When you go and look at what he did in that year, both Clay and, and, and Aaron Campman absolutely deserving, obviously, for the Packers Hall of Fame. Right on. Steelers 23, Packers 19. Let's start with the good, as we always do on offense. We usually talk about Jordan Love. Let's talk quickly about Jordan Love and the good. I thought it was good. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was good. I thought the the again, and this is a case where don't just look at the box score and look at the stats because I don't think I think absolutely this is an instance where the box score and the stats do not reflect how good a game Jordan Love played. Yes, there's obviously passes you'd like to have back. You know, I said last week that I thought his performance was a step forward from, from most of what we'd seen previously, and I believe that again this week. This may okay. have been his best. 
best performance of the season, regardless of what the stats look like. We were listening to it, and then we went into watch the end of the game. Jordan Love looks like he is not phased in the moment. Now, he might be, but his appearance is, I got this. Now, he didn't have it, but there's something too. The moment is not too big for me. I can do this. He believes he can do it in the moment, and I love that. I think that you have to have that to be an elite player in this league. You have to have that absolute confidence in yourself that this is going to work out, and it's not always going to, but if you believe it is, I think that's something that not every quarterback has. I absolutely agree, and I I think that you know we saw in the last couple of weeks – the deep pass start to be completed, which hadn't been completed, you know, through the first few weeks of the season. So that looks like that that deep throw has started to turn around. And that's probably a mixture of Jordan Love and, and the receiving group. Now I think the next thing is obviously to turn one of these close games, one of these last, you know, last minute last two minutes of the game from a close defeat into a victory because those things, they start getting you on a roll. Once you do it once, people believe, your teammates believe, everybody believes that you're going to do it again and again and again. That's the next step, if you will. But it's difficult, I still think, for the offence to get into a rhythm. Even though the defence doesn't give up huge amounts of points, it does give up a lot of time of possession. You know, the Packers have one drive, have one possession in the first quarter of this game. I think it's really difficult. And I know some of it's been caused by three and outs on the offense as well. I'm not saying it hasn't, but I just think it's really difficult for the offense to get into any rhythm when they have a drive, whether it's a three and out or a scoring drive, and they're not back on the field for another 10 minutes of playing time or eight minutes of playing time or 15 plays or whatever it is. I think it's really difficult for the offense to get into that rhythm. And even more difficult, I think, with an offense that's been struggling. They need that rhythm. They need to get going play after play after play. Encouraged with Jordan Love. And encouraged, you know, to go back to one of Amy's questions, encouraged generally by the group of receivers. Again, we talked about this previously. Not one of the receivers has yet stepped forward and shown themselves as the overall number one. And that's not a bad thing. It's nice to be able to have those guys, whether it's Dontavian Wicks, for example, making plays. I'm encouraged again by the group of receivers. I think that I think they've taken a step forward as a group. It will be interesting to see where Christian Watson fits into that group because we talked about him last week as being the deep threat or being used a lot on those deep passes, the go the go routes. You know, he caught a couple crosses over the middle this week. You know, those deep throws to him that were that have ended up as incompletions or interceptions. It's difficult to work out whether whether those are on him, whether those are on Jordan Love, whether those are the play call, whether it's a mixture of all of those things, or a little bit of bad luck. So the one that was intercepted in the end zone, yes, you know, was knocked down. But how often does that pass just fall to the ground rather than falling straight into the arms of yeah. the other defensive back? So we'll talk about the bad in a minute. I will just say the offensive line played relatively well considering it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. I thought that Jordan Love was going to get murdered by either TJ Watt or Highsmith. I thought that was going to happen. Zach Tom played pretty well considering he's got defensive player of the year, TJ Watt standing across from him. They didn't look as bad as they have in the past and they ran it for like 116 yards. I mean, I think those are positive steps. You know, you wish there'd be more and I know part of it came from that long run from AJ Dillon, but they ran the ball effectively, ish. They didn't run it for two yards of carry. They ran the ball enough to stay in this game against a pretty good defense in the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Anything else good before we move on with the bad? Well, they've got Tucker Craft caught a pass. It's good to see him get in the game. Musgrave again caught a long long ball down the middle. So it's good to see those tight ends start to get more and more into the game. Talk about the bad. And there's been a lot of bad talk about Christian Watson. I have to say this, and I know that the Watsons don't listen to the average cheese, but they should. Uh, It's a now deleted tweet throwing Jordan Love under the bus for throwing some bad balls. And those are the reasons that uh, those interceptions happened. Now, I'll just say, Watsons, get the fuck off of social media. He doesn't need you. This looks ridiculous. And I need to say this too. Christian Watson is a second-year player. He hasn't even played a full season because he's been injured for part of it. We cannot expect him to be an elite receiver right now, basically in year one. We can't. Am I disappointed in his production? Fuck yes, I am. I feel like he has too much physical talent to not be producing in this offense. We talked about it last week, and I'm with you guys that, you know, you can't run them long on every play and expect them to be consistent numbers because those balls, A, don't get thrown, and B, don't get thrown well. But there are opportunities for Christian Watson. You know, the whole 50-50 ball has come up. How many contested balls do you think uh, Christian Watson had to catch at North Dakota State? None. Because he was fucking blowing by everybody. he It's not a skill he's had to have. It's something he's going to have to figure out in the NFL. Because even with 4-3 speed or whatever he has, there's going to be a guy that can run with you. You're going to have to make contested catches. No doubt about that. But it's not a skill set that he's had to... Like Romeo Dobbs doesn't run a 4-3. He had to learn how to catch contested balls. George Pickens, who I think fucking sucks, had to catch contested balls. Anyway, Christian Watson didn't play well. I think that's part of the bad. But I also think that he's going to be okay. What else was bad? Well, you touched on the running game. I think it was AJ Dillon was good. Aaron Jones struggled in the running game. So I think he's still working his way back from that injury. I think that's that's clear. Yeah, I've not got too much bad. More of a general point. And I know that Matt LaFleur talked about this in, in the press or after the game. But I think it's an important point. You have to score touchdowns, not field goals particularly in when you play every game the Packers are playing other than the Detroit game is close. You have to have as many sevens as you as you can. So that, that would be the only kind of general point for me. I guess people will point to the interceptions. I think that's difficult, particularly the one at the end of the game. When you look at that, there really wasn't anybody open at the point that he had to throw. None of them. I think Romeo Dubs had just about made it to the end zone. None of the others were even in the None of the others were even in the end zone by the time he had to throw. Yeah, it could point to that. For me, that's just one of the one of those things that will t- that will turn around. My issue with the interceptions, and again at the end, I'm, I'm with you. They had seven guys back. They still were able to get pressure with the four guys that were rushing the quarterback. That's a problem. Here's my thing. I think that it's been an issue for Jordan Love a couple of times, and I'm sure that Clements will come up with some kind of thing where he says, "Hey, Jordan, you've got a seven foot nine foot tall." Tight end. You got a six foot four receiver. Now, not so much the throw at the end. The throw that was intercepted, your receiver is six foot four. You throw that ball where only Christian Watson is going to catch it. If he goes out of bounds, so be it. But a defender should not be able to climb Christian Watson's back, but you are throwing it short. You're not getting it out there where only Christian Watson can catch it. On the last play, Did I think that he was going to make miracles? No. 
I throw the ball again the same way to Musgrave. I, again, I'm not faulting Jordan Love, but in that place, he was in the end zone. Musgrave was the only guy in the end zone deep enough to catch a ball. And I think you you try to let him high point it on a linebacker or a safety. I hope that Jordan Love will continue to progress because he has. And I think that that's something he has to get better at. Throw the ball where only your guy can catch it. Special teams. I'm so sad that Todd is not here right now for special teams. And he didn't see that Josiah fucking DeGuara, which is what Todd has now named him. Honestly, Peter, why was he allowed to come back from Pittsburgh after that? That is inexcusable for any NFL player to stand out there on the end and not touch the guy running by him. He should have been cut that day. I know we beat up on him, but that was, it's an extra point. All you gotta do is bump him. Didn't touch him. Extra point gets blocked. Could have been the deciding factor in the game because they are an easy field goal range at the end. They kick a field goal to tie. They don't have to throw it to the end zone. And maybe the game turns out differently. That was a huge blunder. Quite possible that neither of those interceptions happens. The first interception, maybe you're not making that throw in the end zone because you know that you've got near enough, you've got three points at that point, which would tie the game. And it's amazing, isn't it, how often that that one extra point, that extra point that you that's blocked or missed comes back to bite you. And it did in this game, even though the final margin was four points. I don't know why I just put that in the offense. How about on defense, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Good on defense. The, the secondary played pretty well again considering you know Alexander didn't play. I like Carrington Valentine a lot. The secondary played pretty well, considering it's a it's it's a group of guys that, you know, like I say, it's without Alexander, without Savage, without Stokes, obviously without Oh Rizal Douglas, yeah. Yeah, Rizal Douglas, thank you. All of those guys, I, I thought that the, the, the secondary did did pretty pretty well. I mean Corey Valentine got snaps in this game and he shouldn't get a whole lot of snaps. He's what number seven Guy, six, he's way down the depth chart. So considering that, Todd, any good on defense? It's good to see you, by the way. Thanks for dropping in. Sorry for joining in so late. Where are we at? (laughs) We're on the good on defense. Good. Oh, uh, let me on the spot there. I did think Ballantyne, uh, Peter mentioned Ballantyne. I thought he, for stepping in into the role, I thought he had some some all right plays, some solid plays. I'm trying to think of anyone who really stood out. I, it's it's hard to it's hard to really know what was good. Although they did run for like four million yards in this game, and it wasn't yeah. Najee Harris. Is it Warren? Yes, Warren's an undrafted free agent, isn't he, Peter? I know he was on your draft board at number like five hundred ninety-seven or something like that. Not drafted, playing ahead of Najee Harris, who was an Alabama kid, right? Yep. Anyway. What else? What else is bad besides giving up 205 yards rushing? I think bad, obviously, the the run defense. And I, and I think the run defense have been good the previous two weeks, but it, but it's now reverted back to where, where we thought it was prior to those two weeks. And I think the worst thing that I saw was the running back not being touched, not even getting a hand on him until he was like five or six or seven yards past the line of scrimmage time and time again. I mean, the touchdown, the guy, the rushing touchdown early in the game, straight up the middle, nobody even laid a hand on him. No. And that happened time and time and time again. Bad enough when you've got a tough running back who breaks tackles because you say, make the damn tackle. But when they don't even, and nobody was near those guys for, no. you know, Warren was time and time again, just wasn't, it wasn't even touched. It was, I have to say, it was one of the worst run defensive performances that I can remember simply because they, like I say, I'm repeating myself for the third or fourth time. 
just didn't get a hand on those guys. Ugly. Speaking of ugly, Todd, you put this in the notes, 16 missed tackles. I know as Peter just talked about it, but you want to expound on the 16 <laughs> missed tackles? A new season high. I think the more glaring part of it was 120 yards after the first initial contact. That's just, oh boy. It seemed like on so many of their rushing plays, and they were, they're they rushing right between the tackles. And I mean, the first line of defense was basically mm, past our linebackers, somewhere between our linebackers and secondary. That's where the initial hits were, were coming from. That was, man, that was hard to watch. Really hard yeah. to watch. A lot of missed tackles, a lot of poor play inside, a lot of missed tackles by Clark. Slayton had a bad game. The whole defensive line was just porous. You know, they they weren't doing anything to stop the run whatsoever. The missed tackles were, just, I don't know. That's that's a lot of missed tackles, 16. Yeah, so, it is. I a mean, lot. how many rushes did Pittsburgh have? 36. They ran the ball so, 36 times. So half the time they missed the tackle. Yeah. Um, There's probably several missed tackles on one play in a lot of different situations. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was, and I, I it was so bad that I, it, even without Quay Walker and some of the other starters, I, I still believe that it would would have been pretty bad. I didn't have this in the nose, but I might as well mention it. But I really thought that, like, where is Rashawn Gary? He did contribute in this game because he had a high, he actually had a high run defense PFF score. But when was the last time he had a sack? I mean, it's been four weeks. He's got four and a half on the year. He had that one game where he had three. I mean, he hasn't had a sack in at least four weeks. And yeah. after signing that big contract, like, where are you, dude? We had one sack in this game. One. I was going to bring that up too. One sack. And it's not like it's Kenny Pickett. It's not right. Lamar Jackson. You know, they had a couple quarterback hits, but they didn't have many. No. Let's no. move on to the special teams, even though I sort of brought it up in the offense. It's your guy, and I sent you the video from Twitter. Yeah, you should not have done that. <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> then I went to the game recap, and I watched the full recap, and then when it came to that play, I froze it. Aside from DeGore, just the alignment, if you look at it, before they snap the ball, there are four fucking dudes, you know, as you're looking from the perspective of the Steelers looking towards Carlson. There's like four fucking dudes on the right side and they've got Walker and like DeGora is stacked like behind him. And there's like four dudes out here. They took the three inside guys and collapsed all in on Walker. It's every week, every single week. I'm scratching my head. How the fuck is this guy even in the NFL? It's every week, the same huge costly mistakes. And this one, I mean, I don't even, did he touch him? Barely touched him. Like All you have to fucking do. Right. I'm sorry. I am 50. How the fuck old am I? 51, 52, 52. whatever the fuck <laughs> it is. If you would have lined me up there, that guy would have fucking smashed the fuck out of me and probably pancaked the fuck out of me. Right. But, <laughs> but they wouldn't have fucking blocked that PAT. I guarantee it. And you're talking about DeGuara, who's. A, supposed to be a professional athlete like this is what you do this is like your role on the team is kind of like be that extra blocker whether it's pats whether you're on kickoff coverage whether you're on a fucking offense wherever i don't get it they benched him after that but what is that right they bring in tyler craft okay see you next week right i, I almost put it on like both on the and on the coaching staff because i read a quote from the floor 
that said, yeah, we knew they were going to do something like that. Well, really, motherfucker? Why? Why are there only why do you have two, four fucking guys on the? That was what you guys were going to. That was your scheme. If you knew they were going to do that, how the fuck did you think that was going to be successful? How? And I know everybody loves... Rich Basaccia. No, I'm getting so pissed. I can't remember. Basaccia. It cost the fucking game. I was like, that's going to bite us in the ass. Mm Because this is going to be a grinding out game. It's going to be close. It's going to come around. And sure as shit, here we are with under a minute. And we have to score a touchdown. And we were in prime... Like, that would have been a chip shot for Carlson. That game goes to overtime. All on DeGuar and the coaching staff. It was almost like, and I don't want to belabor this all night, but it was almost like DeGuar didn't hear the snap count. Like, he just stood there. Oh, what do I do well, now? LaFleur said that they were, tr- they, were, they were practicing like a delayed snap because that's what, I mean, the scouting report was that the Steelers were, like, timing it. Okay, then what the fuck happened? How about just the alignment alone? Like you should, for everyone out there, like freeze it. Like someone with zero football IQ could look at that and say, that don't look right. Or before I press play, let's vote whether or not this PAT will be blocked. How about that? With zero IQ, any dumbass off the street would say, yeah, that it'll probably get blocked. Look how many people there are on the right side. I am so thankful to have the average cheese special teams consultant back. I expect to see you out there on the on the field on extra points next week. Let me kick. Let me block. I'm ready. <laughs> I'll do it for nothing. Anything else? Carlson's kickoffs. I mean, come on. That is another issue on the specialty. He, he kicked one out of bounds early in the game. That ball goes to the 40. And the opening kickoff, I can't remember what it was, Peter. But even the announcers are like, why isn't he booming it through the fucking end zone? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. He's six foot fucking four. Don't Scratching get- my head on that one. All right. So thanks for listening to episode 141 of the Average Cheese Podcast. The Eugene Robinson episode. Opeco. Opeco. Opeco.